Welcome to The Change Lab, a podcast for people who are all about personal development, leaning into their potential and becoming their best self. Just, you know, starting next Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Hines, and oh, sh- it's Monday. Hi, I'm so excited. Hi. Today, you guys, <laughs> by the way... <laughs> <laughs> Today is the first interview of the Change Lab. And um, today is not the first interview of the day. <laughs> Sheer and I had an incredibly brilliant and insightful conversation this morning, which I neglected to record. <laughs> so here we go. Here's part two. Uh, we'll be, be better. better. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll be better than we were, of course. Oh my gosh, you guys. I literally had to take off my, I was having a mild panic attack. So I had to take off my sweater. I started sweating. I was like, oh, did I not record that? <laughs> I was like <laughs> stripping off my clothes. Um, okay. Let me give you all, cause you don't know, Shira Gill is one of my esteemed colleagues and also a very dear friend, just a wonderful human being. But for those of you who don't know her, let me read you her bio. It's pretty impressive. So Shira Gill is a globally recognized home organizing expert best-selling author and speaker. She has inspired thousands of people to clear clutter from their homes and lives and developed a process and toolkit that applies to anyone regardless of budget, space, or lifestyle. Shira is the author of Minimalista and Organized Living, which just came out. I have it hot off the presses in my hands and has been featured in a hundred plus print and media outlets, including Vogue, Dwell, Better Homes and Gardens, House Beautiful, Architectural Digest, Domino, Forbes, Goop, Harper's Bazaar, HGTV, Today in Style, Parents, Real Simple, and the New York Times, and uh, drumroll, Good Morning America. It just happened. <laughs> it happened. It's very impressive. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for having me here again. I'm Aww. happy to be back. <laughs> oh my goodness. By the way, this is just the most wonderfully flexible human being. We're like, oh, I guess we're doing that again. We're doing it again. I'll oh see you later. <laughs> all good. Well, the good news for you all is that we were discussing one of my clutter problems and I had an opportunity to actually work on it. So I have some very new insight about one of my clutter issues. But what I wanted to dive into, so Sheer just wrote a book. It is called Organized Living and it's such a great concept. Essentially, she interviewed a number of, I mean, dozens of home organizing experts, professional organizers, and took a peek into their house and what their homes look like. They're so gorgeous, by the way. And unique. And then also it's so curated and such a beautifully done book. But anyway, lots of organizational tips, tricks, hacks, and wonderful value for people who want to be more organized. It's such a cool peek into people who do not think at all like I do. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) like, oh my God, who are these aliens that just have beautiful homes and make everything so organized? That's not how well, my mind Well, it was funny because the, the impetus from the book was that I had been a professional organizer for 15 years and I kind of had my own methodology and my own way of doing things. But I also had met all of these interesting colleagues. And every time I went over to someone's house, I would 
be very nosy and ask if I could dig around and see their systems and how do they set up their medicine cabinet or under their kitchen sink. And it just kind of dawned on me walking on a solo walk one morning, like this would be the coolest book to show how real professional organizers actually live and set up their homes like in real life. And I made a point of finding the most diverse group that I could find, not just in background and race and gender and all of that, but also like house diversity, location diversity. Like I wanted to have like everything from, you know, the suburban mom with five kids in a huge house to, you know, the woman who lives in Brooklyn in a 300 square foot studio. And I even have a woman in an Airstream trailer. Oh yeah. That one's so cool. It's so cool. She downsized from having 300 pairs of shoes and being like a total consumer clutter bug to completely changing her life and downsizing. So yeah, tons of stories and tons of spaces. Yeah, it's by the way, there's so much to dive into. I was like, oh, this is like a mindset treasure trove. (laughs) It really is. What was that? So she went from massive consumerism to then downstreaming to an air, you know, downstreaming to an airstream. Downsizing. Yeah. She said like in her words, her clutter started making her feel physically ill. And it was like, she oh, had like this clutter kind of, anxiety. I totally understand right, that. Oh. Right. Yeah. It can be so overstimulating. And I think she sort of had this like light bulb moment where she looked around her home and she didn't like what she had created and she took it upon herself. And she's a mom of three and married and took it upon herself to start decluttering her own stuff first. And then to kind of appeal to her family and say like, I want to change how we live. And then, you know, kind of slowly progressively convince her family. And now her three kids are grown and out of the house and her and her husband have downsized from this like 5,000 square foot home to a 3,000 square foot home and then to an Airstream trailer. That's 200 square feet and has everything they own is in. And she feels like she's never been happier. They have complete freedom, financial freedom, freedom of the open road. It really was one of the most inspiring stories to me in the book about mindset shift and transformation. That's so interesting. I was going to ask, that's what I was going to ask. Like, what is the change in her belief system that has made this so appealing to her? Yeah, I think it was that she realized that what she really wanted was freedom and not more shoes. <laughs> yeah. So this was a woman who had 300 pairs of shoes but wasn't happy. And I think she started realizing, like, checking in with her own values and realizing, like, none of this stuff is making me happy. None of this stuff is what I ultimately want for myself or my family And really what she wanted was more time and energy and freedom to enjoy the family that she had created to spend time with her husband. And she now, we call her the mobile minimalist. So she takes her show literally on the road and organizes people all over the country and they can go wherever they want, whenever they want, park, see some clients and then go to the next city. So it's a fantastic lifestyle for them. Oh my God. That's so interesting. I mean, it's the coolest you know, you can gain new information, right? So, so much of what we think changes is like changing some technical problem by gaining new information. So we passively learn something and we're putting new information in the form of our mind, right? We're informing ourselves. But when we actually are in the process of transformation, we have to transform, we have to change the form of Mm. not just 
what we know, but how we know it. So we have to change mindset. I just like, what an unbelievable expansion of what she thought was possible in life. That's so cool. It's so cool. I know it's so extreme and so cool. And I ran home and I was like, do we get an Airstream trailer? And my husband was like, no, no, we do not. (laughs) But I was like, freedom, it's freedom. Yeah. So (laughs) I have that same enthusiasm. Thank goodness for my husband. He's like, oh, I love you so much. Settle down. (laughs) Settle now. (laughs) I know. Yeah. There's everyone has their own clutter tolerance and their own idea of like what perfection feels like. Did she say what she was sort of hoping to find in the shoes? Mm. I can't speak to her, but I can say like for the majority of my clients who I work with, it is a feeling of lack and wanting to fill a certain void. Mm -hmm. And one of the exercises that I do with all of my new clients is I challenge them to a purchase pause for one month. And Purchase pause sounds nicer, by the way. Purchase pass sounds lovely, right? (laughs) Um, The reason being that A, most of the people that I work with have hired me because they feel like they can't keep on top of their clutter or they're struggling with disorganization. And as long as things are still coming in the door, it's going to feel like this Sisyphusian task where even if you make a little bit of progress, if there's more and more coming through the front door, it's going to feel never ending. So I started it initially just to curb the volume. But then what I realized is by just challenging people to press pause on consuming anything that's not necessary, it then invites them to check out what's going on in their brain. When are they wanting to buy? Why are they wanting to buy? What is the void that they're trying to fill? And I know for me, like when I've done this experiment as a card carrying minimalist, I've been so shocked at how noisy the voice is saying like, you need that pepper mill or you need that handbag. And no, I certainly don't, right? But to then not buy it and feel the feelings it's like a shortcut to figure out what am I really craving? And right. for me, it's typically like, I'm bored, I'm lonely, I'm sad, and I'm wanting this like quick fix, fun flash of dopamine to make me feel better. But if you are able to allow that discomfort and sort of question like, what am I really wanting here? Yep. Which in the case of this mobile minimalist, her name is Ziamara, it was like, wait, I'm not craving shoes. I'm craving quality time and meaning with my family and intimacy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's a, it's an invitation to stop going unconscious. Right. Yes. Right. That's beautifully said. Yeah. Especially at night. (laughs) Especially, I know we were talking about that. It's like the kids are in bed, the house is quiet and suddenly I'm on the internet. And I mean, one of the other things that I've challenge people to do, which is really hard, is disable the one-click buying, like on Amazon and these other sites where it's just too easy. There's no friction. You can buy like a car in two seconds without thinking about it, right? And it used to be hard to buy things. You'd have to like walk or drive to a store and take out your credit card or your cash and think about what you're buying and have a transaction. And I think the ease of it has made it so that we've just become this society that's like, I want it, I have it. Which, you know, I love instant gratification as much as the next person, but I think waking up to credit card debt or cardboard boxes by the door or 
buyer's remorse is right. it's a net negative. It is. It like it is an unbelievable time suck. Yes. There's a cost of it. Yeah. Huge. And like the, yeah, the mental cost of it, it's not just the time consuming nature of dealing with all the stuff, but it's also the mental clutter and angst and all of that stuff. We just totally underestimate and dismiss it. Yes. I would say like the feeling I come across the most in my work is shame, is just people who feel such deep waves of shame over their consumption or their habits or the feeling of being out of control. And I think that's something that can be actually so easily and quickly adjusted if you want and feel ready for it. One of the things that I haven't really gone into with you know much detail or actually at all yet in this podcast, but there's two different kinds of changes. There's you know what I call a technical change, which is an expert comes in, it's top down. It's like you just needed some new information and you just implement it, right? And, mm-hmm. and there's things in your life that happen like that and you can change pretty quickly. It's not that hard. And then there are other changes that, you know, are called adaptive or mindset changes that really do require a bottom up, like overhaul of how you think, your values, your assumptions, you know, your judgments, your identity. You really have to wrestle with and evolve all of that in order to make change. And so much of people's relationship with their stuff, the meaning they make of their stuff is so deep that most of it is not technical. Most of it is mindset work. Yes. I would imagine. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, it's interesting because there's kind of two different means of organizing professionally. And one is the do it for you model. Like a team comes in and they edit and organize and set everything up for you. And you kind of have this fun presto change moment. And then the other, which is the one that I practice is the do it with you. And I think the reason that my process involves the client so heavily is because I know for me, I'm an experiential learner. So somebody can tell me how to do something and my eyes will glaze over. But if they sit next to me and make me do it, then I'm going to have it in my cells, right? And so when I work with a client, I always start by asking, what do you want to create? So separate from clutter, piles of things, disorganization, like we'll get to all of that, but it's a real values-based approach, which I think speaks to the mindset shift is what do you want to create that you don't right now have? Like, what is the goal for your future? And everything that we do in terms of whether we get rid of something or keep it or where we put it needs to align with that vision and kind of statement of purpose. Right. I love this idea of it being an experiential learner because I think that that's the truth for everyone, which is, and I mean, you can tell your clients all day long, like the less you have, the more freedom you're going to feel. Right. But that's theoretical to them. And like the mobile minimalist, you don't know that until you've actually started to experience it. You literally have to give your mind new evidence that perhaps the way it thinks is not accurate. Exactly. And it's funny because, I mean, most of coaching is like mindset work and happens in your brain. And a lot of my work happens in action and in doing. And sometimes I find that people are so in their heads and they're so full of shame or guilt or paralysis that actually the most helpful thing is not trying to talk them out of it, but to just say like, that's all fine. Now let's clean out your junk drawer. 
And it can be having a small win under your belt that actually can do that mental work of having the experience of, oh, I just cleaned out a drawer and I got rid of the trash and recycling and I made some decisions and I put it back in a neat and orderly way. That is organizing, right? It's that simple. And really it's the mental hurdle that gets people paralyzed. It's not that it's actually complicated or difficult as a process itself. Right. It's sort of like the organizing. I mean, isn't that always what people say? It's like your 15 minute win. Yes. Yeah. Right. Your 15 minute win. Explain to people what your 15 minute win is. Yeah. So the 15 minute win was just this funny little productivity hack that I came up with both for my clients who were overwhelmed where it was like, you know, my clients are looking at an entire a home that feels out of control and it feels like impossible to tackle. And so I would just say, if a client was feeling overwhelmed, we're going to pick one tiny micro thing. We're going to set a timer for 15 minutes. We're going to knock it out. And that's maybe all we do. But always what would happen is they couldn't believe how much they could do in 15 minutes when they stopped thinking and just started doing. And really like the genesis of this hack was when I had to write a keynote and was so paralyzed and it felt so overwhelming that I used this on myself as a way of just stop overthinking and spend 15 minutes writing an outline for this talk. And then of course, once I did that, I then felt better and then I could keep writing and then I was off to the races. Right. Okay. So you gave yourself, you chunked it down and said, all right, I just am committing. I only have to sit here for 15 minutes. And then I'm done. I can like slam the computer shut and walk away for the day. And what I found was, I mean, as you know, like the most difficult thing is always starting. And so any way that you can kind of trick your brain into saying like, it's okay, even if it's two minutes, even if it's just saying, you know what, all we're going to do is empty a drawer and wipe it down, or all we're going to do is do the dishes from breakfast and put them away. That is enough. What typically happens is that your brain gets that rush of completion, the satisfaction of feeling like I did the thing. I did the thing that I was putting off and now I feel better. That typically what happens is people crave more of that and it creates momentum that, you know, all of these little wins stack to become massive transformation over time. But I really think it's the way forward. And I've designed all of my books around that idea of like, You just need 15 minutes. You don't need to take two weeks off of work and like give up your life to get organized. By the way, it's really profound because I, over the summer, my sock drawer, it's always a sock drawer. I think you always talk about the (laughs) sock drawer. The darn sock drawer. Yeah. was so just a jumble of, I have no idea what. And one day I was like, I'm just going to take everything out of here on the floor and deal with it. And of course, time it just to see because my brain needs to remember the evidence. Yeah. Because my mind later will be like, oh, that was, took so long. It's like, let's really. Yeah. Did it? <laughs> did it now? Did it now? No. I know. It's just it took getting 15 out of your own minutes. Way. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I just want to mention I mean, is. More or less, it really did take about that much time. Right. It's stunning, right? I mean, I, I was shocked even the first time I did it that, you know, a client said to me, I have been staring at this drawer full of junk for probably 10 years mm-hmm. and we just transformed it in 10 minutes. Like what is going on? And it was such an insightful moment for me of realizing organization is simply 
pairing similar things together and giving everything a designated place, right? Like a kindergartner can do that intuitively. I think as we get older, we overcomplicate organizing and we also have so much mental drama around it. Obstacles, guilt, fear, shame. What do you think that mental drama is? Like what's Mm. the wall of woe when someone (laughs) opens that junk drawer? Yeah, I think, I mean, what people say to me is like, it's almost like their brain just shuts down and goes, this is too much. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it's too much to process. I don't want to deal with it. I just want to turn away. You know, I mean, we know our brains are designed to seek pleasure and avoid pain. And for most people, like other than me and a handful of organizers, like facing a jumble of stuff is no picnic. It feels bad. And so I think the big thing is just this sense of like, I don't like it. I want to slam the door and walk away and do something pleasant. I also think, you know, people get to a point where they feel like I've neglected this for so long that now the little tiny molehill has become a mountain and it's insurmountable. Right. And then, you know, like, especially with paper, I see that a lot or with storage areas like the basement or the garage that's like floor to ceiling filled with boxes. And it just feels to the brain like insurmountable. Yeah. But what's interesting is like for my brain, I look at that and I go like, we like, we're going to have some fun today. (laughs) And I'm so interested in what the difference is because it's really about you thinking about it differently. The reason you are enthusiastic is because you think about that mountain totally differently. Is it like, do you feel a sense of competence? You're like, I know I can tackle this. I know that I can you know what it is? This it's is, yeah, what it's is that it? I see, I get excited about the potential. So I think what it is, is when I see a mess, yeah. my brain goes, ooh, what can we do to make this better? It's going to be mm-hmm. so fun to like have the after. And yes. I think what most brains do, I don't want to speak for most people, but in my experience, what most people say is they see that and they feel instantly, I can't do it. It's too much. And I think, oh, I can do this like one little step at a time and it's going to be amazing. Right. So yeah, it is just mindset. It really is. It's so fascinating because it does, it is one of the most incredible feelings is to have a finished decluttered space. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I think is crucial and such a big part of my process is, you know, organizing isn't the end goal. It's creating a life that you love, tackling a goal, making yourself proud, you know. Wait, hold on. I need to pause there. Can you say that again? (laughs) I'm like, listen up, people. (laughs) Right. So (laughs) so. I don't want to get any, I get people are like, my goal this year, my big bodacious goal (laughs) is to become more organized. Right. And then I want... Yeah. To bang my head up against my desk. <laughs> so I think like nobody gets a prize for the most organized, right? Like organization is a means to something else that you want. The goal is not just, I am organized. Like the goal is not now I have a color coded pantry or all of my files are labeled and I can like rest happy for the rest of my life. The idea is that organization is a tool that can be used to facilitate the life that you want and to support your goals. And so I always start with the goals instead of with the organizing. I always start with what is the thing you want? What is the thing you are craving? What do you want more of in your life? What do you want to transform 
Do you think that people have easy access to that? Sorry to interrupt. No, I no, no. It so fascinating. Yeah, no, that's, it's such a good question because no, I, I think I am a person that always knows exactly what I want and I'm so goal oriented and I'm like, here's what I want. I'm going to go get it. But what I found is most people who I work with are so inundated in their day-to-day lives that they don't even feel like they have the space or the luxury to think about something like that. Mm-hmm. And it really is by slowing down and having someone, whether it's like me or a coach or a good friend say to you like, Hey, take a minute and think about like, this is your one precious life. Like, what do you want? What do you want to create? How do you want to spend your time and your energy? And that's not going to be an instant quick fix answer for most people. But I think even if you can get an inkling of what that might be, and even just by making space for the question, writing it down, thinking about it, yeah, I choose to not help people get organized until they at least can tell me one solid goal. Even if the goal is like, I want to find my keys in the morning, it's got to be something that's anchored in a real goal and not just like, I want to have a Kardashian pantry. Right. Oh gosh, I love this so much. Because I on your website about Minimalista, it says, edit your belongings, organize your home and make space for what matters most. I love this theme of space. I mean, it's just so relevant to everything, right? It's space in our home, space in our mind, space in our calendar, yes. and how we schedule ourselves yes. and our life. I mean, we are all, I think, kind of space starved. And I think it's like, Time is the greatest resource that we have. You know, it's like our only non-renewable energy source. Like we all get the same amount of hours in the day. And I think slowing down to ask yourself, what is important to me and how do I want to contribute? How do I want to show up? And then looking at, I mean, because my work revolves around environment, looking at once I know what I want and what's important is my environment getting me closer to that thing or is it hindering and causing distraction and stress? And so I think it can be greatly motivating for people who don't, you know, have a natural love of organizing or decluttering like I do to have some bigger goal. Like, you know, examples from my clients are like, I want to be able to host every Friday night and have my dearest friends and family come over and not feel ashamed of what my space looks like, but to be able to like effortlessly host, or in my case, it's like, I want to build a life around travel and taking my kids to travel. And so by curating a minimal environment, we can pack up our suitcase in five minutes. We can rent out our home or let people stay here and be generous with that. Everybody has their own kind of value system around what's important and how they want to live. But I think very few people stop to think, how does my home and environment affect my life? How is it creating unnecessary clutter or stress or distraction? And how can I use my environment to create more ease and spaciousness and enjoyment? Oh, it's so important. I mean, just thinking about, I mean, it is in its own way, kind of heartbreaking, right? Like I want to spend more time with friends. I want to be able to host. It's sort of part of who I would like to be. Mm-hmm. And yet every time I have that thought, oh, maybe I could invite people over, then I'm faced with, oh, but that would require me to right. clean up my entryway and deal with my kitchen and deal with the pile of whatever, whatever. And then quickly we shut it down and we're watching Netflix. Totally. 
Totally. I know it's, I mean, the struggle is real. It's not simple work, but I think it's so important to figure that out. And I, I still remember like a client wrote to me once after she had taken one of my programs and she said, I now spend my weekend making pancakes for my boys, taking hikes with my girlfriends and reading. And I just was like, oh, like that is what it's all about, right? It's it's not about the like Pinterest perfect closet or having like an editorial home. It's about having a quality to your life that feels meaningful. Oh, Wow. I think there's a whole other, I've never thought about this. There's kind of another layer here, which is I think that women feel so resentful of the workload at home, Mm, the cleaning and the tidying and the managing of the home chores and all of that. And yet there is this aspect of it where we have agency. We actually have some control. It's not just like society's expectation of us. We actually are able to say, you know what? I'm going to have less stuff to deal with. So tidying up is going to take a whole lot less time. Totally, totally. I mean, it can be like a change agent and something that can facilitate so much more time and freedom in your life. I think like I see, because I work primarily with women and mothers, I see the toll that, you know, the expectation that women feel to be the perfect mother, the perfect spouse, the perfect friend, you know, perfect at work, the curated perfect home. And I think part of our work is to really untangle all of those shoulds and those expectations and to decide for ourselves what is important and what is worth our time. And everyone has a different clutter threshold. Like for some people, I was telling you this earlier, like I had an artist client who was like, I actually love being surrounded by paints and pipe cleaners and glitter. Like it brings me joy and it fuels my creativity. And I had a client who was a mom who was like, I worked so hard to become a mom. Like I kind of love the mess of life and seeing like the wet galoshes by the front door and the art left on the counter. And I think it's up to all of us to decide like what feels like clutter and what actually feels good to us and to make those decisions And I can say, you know, as someone who doesn't struggle with clutter or disorganization, but like making a meal is excruciating for me. And (laughs) I am like, me both. (laughs) yeah, I'm queen of the takeout. Like let's get Chinese or order pizza. And I, for many years had like this sense of like shame around it. Like I'm a woman, I'm a mother. I'm supposed to be able to like, you know, set the table and have this like beautiful, healthful, balanced meal. And I finally was just like, I don't want to, (laughs) like, that is not my zone of genius. And I'm still worthy and valuable to this family. And luckily my husband loves cooking, but it's something that I've just decided, like, I'm no longer taking that on as like something that I need to feel ashamed or, or less than about. And I think women can do the same thing with disorganization and clutter. And decide like this piece of it is worth my time and attention, but this piece of it, I'm just going to not care about and I'm going to shut the door and it's going to be fine. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm pretty good about clutter. I actually go through like, I will go on a rampage and be like, everybody has to (laughs) clean it out. Yeah. So I think my family's pretty used to that. By now it's like I hit some kind of, it's exactly right. I hit some sort of threshold and all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I officially cannot take it anymore. And we need to clean stuff up. But 
one area where I sort of is a constant uh, irritant Mm -hmm. is my relationship with books. Mm -hmm. And so on my bedside table, I have a pile of books, you know, most of which I have not read or I've read a piece of it, but I haven't read the whole thing. Right. And you were telling me, you're like, you know, I have no books on my bedside table. I have one book, any journal in my drawer and that's it. I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds so relaxing. But what was so interesting is that on my bedside table with all my pile of books, it's like, you were telling me that you had the same thing, right? Yes. You had like five. Yes. Yeah. So I used to, cause I, I am an avid reader. I love books. And I used to have a whole pile of like the books in my lineup that I wanted to read on my nightstand. And what I realized is that that did not help me unwind at night. It was like a physical reminder of all the things I hadn't done. And so it created this sort of mental pollution for me where I was like, I don't want to go to bed feeling like there's all these things that I haven't attended to. And so I basically picked one book that was like, this is the book I'm going to be currently reading, put it in my drawer, put the rest away. And now my rule for myself, just for my own sanity is like, I read one book at a time. We talked about this, but like when I'm done, I give it away. And I just have this sort of abundant thought of like, I can always rebuy it or borrow from the library or get it online if I really need to reference it. And it's just saved me from that feeling of, you know, looking at the piles and feeling that sense of unease in my own bedroom. Right. Oh, I mean, I was (laughs) cracking up because it occurred to me as she was telling me this, I was like, oh, interesting. (laughs) Shira looks at her bedside table and sees the pile of books that are making her feel not great, you know, sort of like, oh, this is not a nice internal experience because I feel like too much noise from my bedside table and all these books. And she has this sense of agency, like, oh, guess what? I can do something about it. I can take the books and put them somewhere else and not have them there. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my way of dealing with it is I look at that pile of books and I'm like, you should be a better person. (laughs) You should read more. You should be faster at reading. I don't have any agency. I'm like completely, you know, attributing the problem to some flaw fundamental flaw in oh, me. Oh yeah, it's your broken. So I was like, okay, well, this is kind of like, I was like, oh, that's kind of mind-blowing. Right. Well, and the whole irony, of course, is that I feel like you're the coach that taught me, like, there is no upside to shame or to beating yourself 100%. up there. And like, you you taught me that and teach that. And so I think something about that really clicked for me where I was like, oh, the pile of books is making me feel bad. I don't like feeling bad. Goodbye, pile of books. Totally. But it's so funny. I'd never thought about it. <laughs> Like it was just, you know what? It's so funny. It's like one of those low level things that you're like, you don't really think about it. You just kind of like tolerate it not being great. Right. Yes. I hadn't really thought about it. By the way, there will be no pile of books on my (laughs) bedside table as of this afternoon. Love it. Yes. Cleared off. I think another thing I see all the time is like the pile of returns and Amazon boxes and shopping bags by the front door. And like, I literally, my brain cannot handle it. So I do like a get it done hour where I sort of challenge myself, like just get it out the door, like go to the post office and drop off the thing. And it never takes as long as you think it's going to take. But I do have a rule that's like, there will be no returns by the front door. Like they have to get out of the house because again, it's that mental clutter of seeing visually unfinished business that your brain has to process and kind of work overtime on that stimulus. 
Oh, right. It's just those like a million open loops. Yes. Like all the open tabs in your brain that you just want to shut them. (laughs) hundred percent. So this afternoon in in between (laughs) our two conversations. (laughs) Yes. Here's what happened was that I was telling Shira that I was like, well, I moved into a new office and I have more space for books. And so of course, initially I was like, oh, this is amazing because now I'm finally going to have the room for all the books and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But guess what? I bought more books (laughs) and then now there's piles of books. So I went through them and I was like, what is my problem? Because I will try to go through them and then I'll get stuck and then I'll just go do something else. So I actually set a timer, sat down and was like, you're pulling every book you have not read Mm -hmm. off of the shelf. And here's what I discovered. There were books in categories and each category was something that I wanted to. And at some point tell myself, I will Hmm. write an article about. So it was like, the topic of motherhood and identity and like beliefs about motherhood and how that's changed over time historically. Yeah. I'm fascinated by this. Uh-huh. Kind of wrote my dissertation on something like that. So I have a whole bunch of books that like they're sitting there waiting for me to do something with them. And then like there was a whole section on emotional immaturity, another on addiction, mm. another on distraction and tech another on philosophy, another on spirituality, God, and psychology, and another on polyvagal theory. And I could go on. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is torture. Oh, it's so interesting. Like I walk by my bookshelf, which is basically yelling at me saying, hey, hey, there's a lot of stuff you need to do. (laughs) Totally. And it's like all of those resources will be available forever. Yes. I mean, that's the great news, right? It's like, you don't actually have to have the physical books. You can at any point decide that you're interested in something or you want to research something and you are endlessly resourceful and skilled at finding what you need. I think like, that's a great thought to practice. Like I can always get whatever I need. Oh my God. And it, but it was so interesting because I'm, so now my office is kind of a mess because I pulled (laughs) all of them off the shelf. Yeah. Which was actually, I was like, oh, just pulling something off the shelf kind of gets you one step so much farther. Yeah. Because now I have to make a decision. Do I put it back on the shelf or do I put it somewhere else? But the interesting thing is, as I was thinking, okay, if I take this pile of books, like this one on, by the way, those motherhood books, I'm not joking. I've had them since I wrote my dissertation. Wow. That's so fascinating. That's not short time ago, guys. (laughs) been a minute. And it's an unconscious thing. But I, every time I walk by, it's like, hey, remember that article that you wanted to write about how, mm. you know, our identity as mothers has changed. Da, da, da. Like, and and it, by the way, it would be a very interesting thing to research and write. Sure. But for me to take those books and put them somewhere else or to give them away or to, it's a grief. I feel grief. Yeah. And the reason is because it's wrapped up in your identity. And I think Like that's what's really fascinating about the relationship with people and their stuff is that people make stuff have such a deep meaning around who they are, what they care about, all of those things. But if you can sort of untangle that, like it's like, you know, I have the clients with like the 20 mugs from college and I'm like, you still ran in the race. You still went to the university, even if you don't have the mugs. <laughs> like, that's still who you are. You are don't you sure? have to keep these forever. And what it really, I mean, I have like t-shirts and mugs. That could be a whole other podcast. But the attachment 
I believe is because we are connecting our identity, just like you're connecting your identity as like an intellectual and a researcher and, you know, all of these things with these books are like part of who you are and who you want to be. But the great news is like all of those books could be destroyed in a fire and you are still you with your same, you know, brain that's like hungry for information and curious and, you know, articulate and all the rest. And if I get to keep all my books on my bookshelf, it creates this like daily reminder of what's yet undone, but it also allows me to pretend that there's an infinite amount of time for me to get all of these things accomplished, which I know is not true. Yeah. We don't have sadly infinite time. So it's like, (laughs) I mean, I think honestly what organizing is, it's decision-making. And I think that is why it's so excruciating for people because decision-making is hard and it's taxing on the brain. And each decision can feel painstaking unless you create some clear boundaries and parameters. Like I'm always talking about as adults, how you have to create your own boundaries because no one else is going to do it for you. Like when you were a kid. So like in your case with the, you know, drowning in books room, it's like deciding for yourself, how many bookshelves am I going to have? And I am allowed to have as many books as fit neatly on this bookshelf so that it's functional and I can use and read and enjoy these books. Right. I need to have that talk with myself. Like my mommy self needs to say (laughs) to my little me self, like, hey, you don't have to write any of these things and I still love you and you're still a good person and it's okay. And if in five years you want to write this paper or you want to write a book on this topic, you can do it. But okay, so here I have have a question for you. Okay. I love talking to you. Oh my goodness gracious. I could talk to you forever about these (laughs) topics, but I have a question because you know, here we are, we're in the change lab and we're all talking about resistance to change, which is a topic I think we don't discuss enough. The reality that every single one of us has some area of their life or has had an area of their life where they experience this sort of one foot on the gas wanting to change and then one foot on the brake resisting that same change, which is exhausting. Totally. Where in your life have you ever had that experience and what did you do to move forward and make progress towards your goal? Yeah. So, I mean, I've had it throughout my entire life, you know, as young as I can remember, because I always was a person who was hungry for life and experiences, but also was sensitive and scared. So I think there's sort of this dichotomy in me always that's like the push pull of like, I want this big life and I kind of want to have like safety and structure. Um, Those two things don't go together very well. So a recent example is I was asked to appear live on Good Morning America. This was actually last week. So it's like- I wish I had a clap track. Ah, (laughs) thank you so much. (laughs) So fresh in my brain. So this was obviously a huge opportunity and I had the opportunity to go on national TV live and talk about my new book. And I literally felt like I was going to die leading up to this moment. My brain went into complete fight or flight, like paralysis and every part of my body, like, and my brain. So it was like on a cellular level and in my brain, it was like, do not do this. Like unsafe, wrong way. Like, what did that physically feel like? Oh my God. I mean, literally like full body panic, like sweating, anxiety, like heart beating, you know, like my poor husband was just like, are you okay? And I was like, (laughs) I'm not okay. (laughs) 
Yeah. And, yeah. and then there was like an added level of suffering self-inflicted because then I was like, I'm supposed to be excited and I'm supposed to be grateful. And why do I right. feel so terrible? And so, and this was really a full two weeks of like full body panic and feeling out of control. And, you know, I've done so much public speaking in my life. I formerly was an actor. So like, I am not by a the way, person. You are, I have watched you on stage with awe. Oh, well, thank you. Truly. I mean, you just get up there and own it. Well, so that's what's so fascinating about this experience. And I think that it was the nature of it being live. And so having no control, if I blundered or made a mistake or got nervous, there are no take backs or press pause. And then, you know, millions of people. So it was like a new level of exposure that I had never had. And my brain was like, do not like back up the truck. You've taken this too far. And literally like all that I wanted to do was like make my life very small and curl up in a ball and watch Bravo and like eat Ben and Jerry's. And, Mm -hmm. um, what I actually did is I just tried to let myself experience panic and, Mm knew that like, if I fight it, that didn't work. You know, when I was like, stop it, (laughs) that was not successful. So I basically just for literally two weeks on and off was like, this is panic. I am feeling yeah, panic. Yeah, hold on. I just need everyone to understand. What was the time frame we're talking about Two here? weeks. Two weeks. Two yeah. weeks of feeling nauseated like this Awful, awful. And I think that what I did is I just, I was like, I know myself well enough to know I'm not going to cancel. I'm not going to like let down my team and my publisher. I'm going to do this. But right now I feel full body panic. And that's because I'm doing something that feels new and scary. And my brain's trying to protect me. And I just feel panicked. And that's, that's what I'm feeling. So I let that happen. It was very, very deeply unpleasant. And then I got to New York last week and it was like this weird wave of calm came over me. And I remember I turned to my husband and I was like, I think I'm going to be okay. And he was like, yeah, yeah, of course you are. And I was like, no, I didn't think I was, but now I think I'm going to be okay. And of course, you know, I went on and it was an incredible experience and I felt so high afterwards and so proud of myself. Um, But what was fascinating is just that, you know, I'm a person that really tends to listen to my intuition and my body and to kind of feel like my body is screaming at me, no, don't do this. And to have to gauge like, it's okay. You're just scared because you're getting to the next level. It doesn't mean that something is terribly wrong. It was very complicated to sort out. <laughs> I think that's so interesting. Did you kind of, I mean, at that point, you sort of have to use the people that you trust in your life to gauge Yes. where you're at, right? Like your husband, like, this yes. is a good, you know, you can, you've got this because anyone who knows you would have been reflecting back to you, your competence, how yeah. awesome you're going to be, how amazing it's going to be, right? Like, it, it I know that really was not convinced. I mean, that's what's no, so I'm sure funny. It <laughs> it's like, everyone was like, you always show up and do a great job. And I was like, you don't understand. The thing that actually did really help me is that my husband who has been through many a, you know, turbulent transition with me was like, this is kind of your process. Like you commit to something big and then you get really scared and then you feel terrible and then you go do it and you kill it and you come out the other side and like 
it's always good on the other side, but it almost feels like your body and your brain are just like need to go through this panic state. I don't know if that's true for all people or like I'm the lucky one who gets no, to feel no. that way. I mean, I think that's like, that is your psychological immune system yeah. in action, right? It is sending proverbial antibodies. Like let's right. fight this off. Yes. This is very dangerous. Oh my God, it felt so dangerous. But here's what's, <laughs> here's my question is like, is there a time in your life when you would have read those signals as like, oh, for sure, I'm not doing this? Yes, yeah. So that's what's so interesting. I think before I discovered this work and the work that you're doing and sort of the whole like, not just positive psychology, but like mind management and thought work and cognitive work, I think anytime I felt that level of fear or panic, I would be like, oh, clearly this is my intuition telling me it's not a good idea. And I think it has been later in my life that I realized like, oh, actually discomfort is part of the journey. It doesn't mean something's gone terribly wrong and you've got to like flip it and reverse it. It means I'm doing something big. I'm doing something brave. And that's like the body and brain's natural response to protect you. Right. Like I'm busting through to another level. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like so glad that I now have that knowledge because I feel like had I felt the way I was feeling years ago, like I really think I would have just said, you know what? Like my gut is telling me this is not the right opportunity or the right timing. And I would have missed out on this incredible opportunity. Thank you so much for sharing this with us because I think so often we make an assumption when people do things like this, like, oh, they're just so lucky and they had this amazing experience and, you know, it all seems so wonderful. But to listen to you actually walk through, like, hey, I felt like I was going <laughs> to vomitose for two weeks, right? That's like, that's not pleasant. Nobody really wants to do that. No, and I had the thought, like, I th- think that this is not for me. Like this type of big stage is actually for a different type of person with like a different type of makeup. And like, it ain't me. And it's so funny because literally the second that it was over, I was like, I want to do this again tomorrow. (laughs) 100%. Do you think that this experience, that experiential learning where you got new evidence, do you think that that started to shift your mindset? So now- there's a little thought in there, which is maybe this is for me. Well, yeah, that's the craziest part is that like, this is how extreme my brain is, is literally the second it was over. I was like, I love this. I think I want to do this all the time. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, like that. it was not even like a subtle shift. It was like a complete 180. Like I emailed my team, like, I love this. Like, let's book more of these. This oh, was a okay. Joy. Okay, that's amazing. Yeah, it wasn't insane. just like a momentary, like no. that was awesome. And then you went back to your baseline. No, I love it was, it. I mean, it's so crazy. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. It's such a perfect illustration of how it's an overturning of your immune system. It's such a beautiful thing. Like you gave new evidence to your operating system and the operating system's like, oh, internalize new evidence. Now we have a more sophisticated operating system. Totally. Totally. And I think doing anything for the first time, the second time is not just a little easier, but it's like exponentially easier. And I have experienced that again and again. Oh, that's so awesome. I love that. Thank you so much. That's really, I mean, it's interesting. It's going to help lots of people because I think we all think it's easy for everybody else. It's just hard for us. Totally. Oh yeah. I mean, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) Yeah. 
So I love your book. I want everyone to go out and buy this book, Organized Living. It's so, or get it from your library, whatever. It's so wonderful. It's just full of awesome ideas. And just to get inside the brain of all these wonderful people who their mind is organized and their life is organized. It's just, it's it's aspirational to me. (laughs) I love it so much. There's a lot I took away from it that I thought were like easy to implement things I could do to just make things more pretty or, you know, just more calming in my home. Mm -hmm. But you, the seasoned professional, what did you take away from it? Well, you know, so many things, I think like the big kind of overarching theme was that everyone in the book who I interviewed wanted less volume. And I think a lot of that, even though some of the people in the book are, you know, self-proclaimed maximalists and love color and art and texture and really like have a completely different aesthetic than I do. I think the overarching theme was this sort of like cry for less to manage. And so I took that away just as like, you know, confirmation of what I already felt, but it was like stamped again. And then on like a specific level, seemingly insignificant things that have had a big difference, like one of the organizers named Jen, who's in Los Angeles, I happened to notice her phone screen, all of her apps were organized by color in folders. And so when you looked at her phone, it was just like the blue apps, the red apps, the purple apps. so pretty. And I initially was just like, that's so pretty. And then I realized like, oh, I, because I'm such a visual processor, I actually think about apps. Like I know when I think of ways, I think of blue. And, you know, like when I think of Instagram, I think of like pink, purple. And so I kind of quickly got rid of half my apps and then put the rest in folders by color. And it's just made it like a breeze for me. Like those little things that make a big difference. Like now I find what I need in two seconds and it just looks prettier. So. Oh, that's cool. I've never heard anyone do that. That's really. (laughs) Yeah. It was a funny one. Intuitive. And then there was one other woman who lived in a home that was hundreds of years old and she had one set of linens per bed because they didn't have a linen closet in their home. And so she basically invested in very nice, high quality linens. And once a week they would throw them in the wash and then they'd put them straight back on the bed. And I just thought, well, that is a life hack, like never having to fold sheets again. (laughs) Nor having to make yourself do it, right? Right. Because it's just not a choice. Totally. Like I need my sheets. I'm going to put them back on so I can go to bed tonight on my clean sheets. So that kind of blew my mind. You know, I felt like I thought I was minimalistic around sheets and towels, but that's another level. And I just loved the practicality of it, of like invest in the best, use it every day, and then just wash it and put it back instead of having closets full of backup linens that you barely touch. Yeah, that was a theme I saw a little bit throughout the book was this sort of, you know, use the best. Stop storing all that stuff and actually have less, have it be nicer and use it. Exactly. Yeah, it's the like fewer, better ethos of like buy less, but buy better and then use it and enjoy it instead of, storing it and just having it take up real estate in your home. Oh my gosh. Well, I thoroughly loved it. You guys need to get this. I'm going to put links to both of her books, Minimalista, which is also full of gems and then Organized Living in the show notes. And also, of course, all of your social media links and the link to your website. Shira is so amazing, you guys. She takes a limited number of clients. So if you're interested, definitely reach out to her. 
There's, there, there's nobody better than what you do. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're it's so the truth. sweet. <laughs> it is the truth. Thank you. I could talk to you all day. Thank you same, for having same. me so much. Oh, love you so much. See you later. Bye. For more dirt on today's topic, make sure to visit the episode show notes at drsashahines.com. Or if you have any specific questions, you can shoot me an email at hello at thechangelabpodcast.com or find me on Instagram at drsashahines. If you're enjoying The Change Lab, there are three things you can do about it. Subscribe and leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share the show with a friend or five. Or head over to drsashahines.com to check out the ways you can work with me and dive deeper into this work. And if you're feeling wild, maybe do all three. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next Monday.